0: We all need motivation in life, especially when we're called to do hard but necessary things. In my case, I think about the need that I have to be motivated to work out more. Uh, You know, when I'm at home and the, the weights are laying beside me, I've got free time, just, you know, a book or the internet or the dishes, anything seems preferable to working out. Yet, if I go to a fitness class, uh, or if I'm at boot camp and I have a Marine Corps drill instructor behind me, I tend to do pretty well at working out. I'm pretty motivated. Uh, There's something about the external accountability, the clear instruction, and the authoritative summons that stirs us to action. This morning, we interrupt our series in the book of Colossians uh, for this one-year anniversary, as we consider a passage of scripture where King David addresses his son Solomon about this final task uh, that David is entrusting to him. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 11 to 16, as David summons his son Solomon to faithfully and zealously give himself to the work before him. If you don't have a Bible, you can find them on the table Uh, To the side, please feel free to to grab that, take that home uh, as our our gift to you. We we really could give you nothing better than God's word, so feel free to please take that. The book of Chronicles details the history of Israel and the highs and lows, in particular, the kings and priests. David was Israel's second king. He was a good king, he ruled justly and fairly, he loved the Lord Yahweh alone. Uh, He wasn't a perfect king by any means. Uh, But he was committed to the Lord. This this morning's passage takes us to the end of his reign. Uh, We're going to make 10 observations about 1 Chronicles 22, verses 11 to 16. And the main idea of our passage is simply this. Build God's house in God's way for God's blessing. Build God's house in God's way for God's blessing. So look with me at First Chronicles 22, beginning in verse 11. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding, that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you're careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not, do not be dismayed. With great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to have 10 observations on how to build the temple of the Lord Uh, And actually, we're going to have 20 points this morning because the first 10 are going to apply to Solomon and how he was supposed to build the temple. Don't worry, that'll be quick. And then we're going to think about how those 10 also apply to us. So you might, on your sermon notes page, just draw a line down the middle. You could do Solomon on the left, Trinity Church of Bedford on the right. All right, so let's go through these 10 ways uh, to build God's temple. Number one, notice in the, the very first words of verse 11, that it is the son of David that builds the temple, right? David says, now my son. And of course, the reason why David assigned this task to Solomon is because God had assigned the task to Solomon. Just look back at verse 10, one verse prior to our passage. Referring to David's son, the Lord says, he shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Apparently, God intends for the king of Israel, the son of David, to both build God's house and rule forever. More on that in a little bit. Number two, the second aspect of building God's temple was the necessity of God's presence. Again, you see that in verse 11. Uh, David says, now my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house. Uh, This is really important for our purposes. The guarantee of this massive construction project's success is not dependent on Solomon's strength, or the ability of his craftsmen, or his understanding of architecture. And geopolitical treaties, and how to get all the the requisite materials and raw materials to Israel, to Jerusalem. Rather, it is the blessed Lord who gives his blessed presence, resulting in a blessed work. Uh, This concept wouldn't have been strange to Solomon, because back in Exodus 31, when the Lord is giving instructions to Moses on how to build the tabernacle, which is basically a mobile temple. Right? Israel would set up the tabernacle as they wandered around the wilderness. It was a proto-mobile temple. Well, in Exodus 31, God says, I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to build the tabernacle. Uh, and then the Lord repeats that again, that it's his Spirit that has filled Bezalel. You see, in building the temple and the tabernacle, the point is that God was empowering, equipping, and enabling his people to build his sanctuary. Not in their own strength, but because God was with them. Third, consider the the task itself. Verse 11 describes it as building the house of the Lord your God. Uh, To speak of the house of God is to speak of the temple of God. And the temple was so significant because of five main activities that would take place. Uh, First, it was where God reveals his glory. Second, it was where God drew near to man. Third, it was where sin was atoned for. Fourth, it was where mankind drew near to God. And fifth, it was where God was worshipped. You know, we, could, we could do a whole sermon on these five aspects of the temple because they're so significant. Uh, but suffice it to say for now, what a monumental task Solomon had in front of him. You know, he wasn't in charge of building a mere she-shed in the backyard. Uh, Solomon was not called to build even a glorious lake house in the mountains. He wasn't building an impressive monument to some war hero. No, it's much greater than that. As David states in First Chronicles 29, the passage right before our call to worship, the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. This is what Solomon had been called to. And so the fourth aspect of building God's house is that it requires God's wisdom. You see that in verse 12. David says, Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. So God's presence is going to be with Solomon. And David's prayer and his desire is that God's presence would lead to wisdom and understanding, but that it wouldn't just terminate there in a big head, but that God giving discretion and understanding to Solomon would lead to him keeping the law of the Lord his God. It's not just an intellectual knowledge, but it's a knowledge, a wisdom leading to obedience. Right, I mean how should Solomon lead these thousands of people under him? Uh, How could he acquire the materials necessary? How should he handle disobedience or laziness? Uh, When should he call the workers to double time and when to rest? How would he examine his own heart and his own motives as Solomon builds this magnificent temple? Solomon required wisdom from God uh, to have the right priorities, to understand the world around him, to understand his own heart, To know what righteousness required, on how best to withstand his enemies, how to encourage and motivate the people, Uh, in thousands of ways, Solomon needed God's wisdom so that he would obey. Because fifth, obedience leads to success. You see that in the first half of verse 13. Look there. David says, then you will prosper If you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel, that word prosper is the same word as in verse 11, where David prayed that the Lord be with you so that you may succeed or prosper. It's the same exact word. And so you might say, "Well, well, Scott, which is it? Does God's presence lead to success or does obedience lead to success? David, is it God's presence that leads to this prospering of the work, or is it their obeying? Make up your mind, David. And of course, the answer is both. God's presence is what leads his people to obey. And should his people disobey, they should have no expectation of enjoying God's presence. Uh, Solomon shouldn't presume upon God's being with him if he were living in unrepentant sin. Rather, it was the knowledge and reality of the Lord being with them that should empower and enable their obedience, leading to success. Sixth, at the end of verse 13, we see David's exhortation to work. You notice they're given in staccato fashion. Be strong, be courageous, fear not, don't be dismayed. Uh, These commands are noteworthy because of their impressive pedigree in Israel's history. In Deuteronomy 31, uh, Moses was giving his final instructions to Joshua, much like David was here instructing Solomon. And so Deuteronomy 31.7 reads, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go up with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to give to their fathers, to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. And then check this out. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Uh, You see, when, when leadership is changing hands, when there's a revered leader who's stepping aside, you might have this fear of regression for things to go poorly and the work to stop. And so whether your task is driving out the Canaanite nations in the land of promise or building the temple of God, no matter how massive the project, don't be afraid. Joshua and Solomon, be strong, be courageous. Whatever challenges you face that you do not foresee, well, the Lord is with you. And he's not surprised by them. He knows the challenges of the seven Canaanite nations. He knows, Solomon, what challenges you're going to have as you build this temple. He will not abandon you, He is with you. And so be strong and courageous. This relates to the seventh way to build God's house, which is through sacrifice. You see that at the beginning of verse 14. Uh, David says, with great pains. I have provided for the house of the Lord. And then at the end of verse 14, to these you must add. Solomon shouldn't be deluded by the grandeur of the materials in front of him. He shouldn't be fooled into thinking that David somehow, his father, had it easy. And now he had the really tough work of putting all these materials together and building the temple. No, David suffered Great pains to prepare to build God's temple. And now if Solomon is to add to these materials, uh, the implication is clear. He should be prepared for great pains and trials and afflictions of his own. He shouldn't be surprised. Eighth, we see that materials, physical materials are provided for the work. That's what verse 14 mentions. The 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there's so much of it, timber and stone. Uh, In short, God was providing through David for all that Solomon needed. Again, Solomon would have to make sacrifices of his own, but make no mistake, God was providing what Solomon needed. God was providing the physical resources to get the job done. Ninth, we see that in verse 15, the workers are provided. Uh, We read, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. It it didn't matter how brilliant Solomon was. If he didn't have fellow workers, the job's not getting done. Uh, Solomon needed help. And so notice that God doesn't provide only stone cutters. It's not only carpenters or only smiths. No, God has provided a diversity of laborers for the diversity of tasks required. If Solomon had the best stone cutters in the world, but he only had stone cutters, the work wouldn't get done. They needed all different kinds of workers. And so 10th and finally, verse 16 summarizes the matter. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. Like a good fitness coach, David doesn't end on a belabor- on belabored instructions about architectural intricacies. The work has been laid out. Now what is needed is resolve and action. So far from the Lord being with Solomon precluding his work, the Lord being with Solomon rather blesses and enables Solomon's labors. Uh, Solomon's working and God's presence are like the two wings on a plane, right? So if, if Solomon worked, let's just go with, if, if God's presence was there, but Solomon wasn't working, temple wasn't gonna get built. Conversely, if Solomon worked, but the Lord was not with him. Temple's still not going to get built. Could you remember what Solomon states in Psalm 127? "Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain." Solomon took this to heart. He realized that his only hope was if the Lord would build the house. This is the task that King David gave to his son Solomon, what the Lord called Solomon to do. What's the task that you and I have been assigned as we've been considering in our service so far? Uh, Now the temple of God is not a physical building on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Instead, it is the church. As we read about in 1 Corinthians 3 and in Ephesians 2, we are God's temple. And so let's just now kind of cycle back through these ten reflections, thinking about what it means for us uh, on this one-year anniversary of Trinity's beginning, uh, what it means for us to build God's temple, the church. So number one, let's go back. Number one, Jesus is the true son of David who builds the true temple. Temple. So, so that 1 uh, Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2 passage, uh, at times we've been considering how you and I, we are God's temple. But the plot line, the story of the Bible doesn't just go from tabernacle in the wilderness, tent on Mount Zion, immediately to the church. No, there's an in-between step, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, as Jesus is cleansing the temple from the money changers and those taking advantage of the religious system, you remember the Jewish leaders get really upset, and John 2, 19 reads, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the, bo- the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he had said. Okay, so now, after Jesus' resurrection, he and his body is the new temple of God. It is his soma, his body. Just because think about what we've been reading in Colossians. In chapter one, we read, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or in Colossians 2.9, for in Christ, the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see, Jesus, his body is the new temple of God because in Jesus, God reveals his glory in Jesus, God draws near, in Jesus, sin is atoned for, in Jesus, mankind draws near to God, and in and through Jesus, we offer our worship to God. He is the new temple, the son of David, who builds the true temple of God, namely his body. And now that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead after three days, well, now he gets to to building his body, building this temple that is the church. The the logic of John 2 is that Jesus' body is the temple. The logic of the rest of the New Testament is what is Christ's body? The church. That's right. Where do you think Paul got his analogy where he's talking about, you know, Christ is the head, we are his body, we are the temple. Paul got that language from Jesus. We are his body. And therefore, we are his temple. As Ephesians 5.27 states, Christ is the head of the church, his body. So Christian, it is precisely because you have been united to Christ, the fact that you are united to his body, that what becomes true of his body, that it's the temple of God, becomes true of you, becomes true of us. In Christ, the church becomes God's temple. And thus, not only is Jesus the son of David who builds the temple through his bodily resurrection, but he builds God's temple as he builds this church and every church, the universal church. Brothers and sisters, what does this mean practically? Uh, It means that any growth that God does in our midst... Any conforming us to the image of Christ, any sanctifying us by his spirit, any service that we render to one another, any living stones that are added to to this temple, any good that is done here where Christ's global or local body, any upbuilding that occurs, it is through Christ. Uh, He is the son of David who builds the temple. And so make no mistake Our labor for the church, our labor for God's temple, is only a derivative work. Because in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And so we get to work under him, and all glory belongs to him. How are we supposed to go about building this new temple of God, Christ's body here on earth? Uh, That's what these next nine points are, are more about. Number two... God's presence is required for us, right? If the Lord's presence was Solomon's hope and confidence, it must be for us as well. The fact that the triune God is with us. Uh, This is what's been promised to us. So for example, in Matthew 18, Jesus promises that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Okay, Jesus. I love Bible study in small groups and meeting at Starbucks to talk about Jesus. That's not what Jesus is referring to, though. He's talking about the gathered assembly, the ecclesia, the church. Jesus says, if you're a baby church of two or three people, I'm there. My name, my presence, my authority, it's with you. There have been some days where I thought there might be two or three people here. And praise God, Jesus is with us. In 1 Corinthians Uh, As we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, do you not know that you, plural, you guys, you gals, you all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, plural? So Jesus is with us. God's spirit is with us. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul states, if therefore the whole church comes together and outsiders or unbelievers enter, the unbeliever is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Brothers and sisters, it is an amazing thing that God is with us. The triune God right now, every week as we gather, is with us in a special way. Because we gather under Christ's name, under his banner, with his authority. And his presence beckons us to the throne of grace. That's what makes this time so special in the life of the church. Uh, Because this time has been specifically set aside by the Lord for us to gather under his name. Uh, The point isn't that we should expect levitating chairs or anything incredibly miraculous to occur, uh, anything visibly miraculous, but that in the reading of God's word, in the praying, in the singing, and especially the preaching of God's word, God draws near to us and we to him, all through the work of Christ. So if we're to have success in building this church, it is only because God's presence is with us. The third thing we see Uh, is that the work itself is building God's temple. Again, to to look at the words of 1 Chronicles 22, verse 11, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God. Uh, Again, we need God's presence to build God's house. What makes the church successful is God's presence and God's spirit Because our task is a spiritual task. Uh, Put another way, if our task was merely raising money, well, anyone can do that. You don't need the spirit to do that. If you want to begin an impressive startup organization, lots of entrepreneurs do that. Uh, If you want to help people accomplish moral reform in their lives, you can find a book or a group that, that helps with that. If you like singing, go to Fenway Park for the seventh inning stretch. Uh, There are social and political groups, if that's what you like. But beloved, only God's spirit can bring dead sinners to new life. It is only as we behold the glory of the Lord that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So if we don't see God's face, no transformation will occur. We need God to be here. We need God's work to do, word to do the work. Let me give you the opposite of what I mean. Uh, this is from one church growth consultant. Put it this way, and your jaw's gonna be on the floor and you hear it because it's outlandish. This church growth expert said Back in Jerusalem, when the church started, God performed a miracle there on the day of Pentecost. They didn't have the benefits of buttons and media. So God had to do a little supernatural work there. But today, with our technology, we have available to us the opportunity to create the same kinds of interest in a secular society. Now, yeah, we don't need God's spirit. We have marketing. It is wild. It is absolutely wild. Brothers and sisters, Like this, we should, this should shut down if God's spirit is not among us. We don't want to rely on marketing or charisma or humor or anything else. Our work is a spiritual work. And so we require God's Holy Spirit. Fourth, like Solomon, we look to God to grant us discretion and understanding in the labor. We need God's wisdom to walk in God's ways, uh, because the world, the flesh, and the devil are happy to distract us and lead us astray. We need God's wisdom to know what obedience looks like in the local church. We need God's guidance as we think through elders and deacons, as we think through members and preaching about what it means to love one another and pursue and sharing the gospel in our communities. Uh, We need wisdom about knowing how to speak the truth in love to our transgender neighbors. We need God's understanding to help us confront a brother or sister dabbling in sin. We need God's truth to help us discern what hills to die on and when to let love cover a multitude of sins. And so much of life in the local church, uh, I can't tell you how much of elder meetings, the the one elder meeting we've had, but the other elder meetings I've been a part of, uh, it's just asking for wisdom from God. Saying, God, we don't know what to do, but you do command us to ask for wisdom when we need it. So we're coming before you and we're asking. I, th- I do think that's especially pertinent because you notice that wisdom was necessary for Solomon when God gives you charge over Israel. Uh, the point was that in leadership, people are counting on you. Your decisions impact a lot of lives. And so, brothers and sisters, one of the ways that you can build up this church is by praying for Mark and Dave and myself. Uh, praying that God would give us wisdom. Pray that our minds would be renewed according to the Word of God. Pray that we would love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. That we would know how best to lead and love and serve this congregation. The fifth way that we are to work in building God's temple uh, is found in verse 13 where we see that we will succeed and prosper if we are careful to obey God's statutes and rules. Simply put, it will do us no eternal good. It will glorify God in no way. It will be loving to no neighbor if we try to cover our disobedience with apparent success. It doesn't matter how large the membership roles grow at this church or how many dollars are coming in. If we are not committed to obeying God's word and living it out, any supposed success will be empty. Uh, in that sense, the relative success of this church and every church will not be apparent until the last day. That's, that's kind of what 1 Corinthians 3 was talking about, where Paul's talking about, hey, you can build with these different labors, or these different, um, la- uh, not labors, uh, materials, thank you. Yeah, you, you can build with these precious stones. On the last day, you're going to get commended for building with that. Or you can build with hay and straw and wood, which won't survive on the last day. So as a church, any success that we have has to be, running in parallel to obedience. Uh, Otherwise, any success will be empty. And so sixth, brothers and sisters, we need to be strong and courageous. We need to fear not. We need to not be dismayed. If Solomon looked at the massive task in front of him and Joshua before that, how much greater a task have we been assigned? You know, Joshua was to conquer The promised land. Seven nations bring them under submission to the word of God. We've been charged to make disciples to the ends of the earth. Solomon had to build an impressive building. You and I, we have to build the temple with living stones. We, We have to build the temple with one another as members of the household of God. We are to so love and live and suffer and die and proclaim the gospel that people are to come face-to-face with the living God. You see, this task is way beyond our ability and means, and so we might be tempted to be fearful and dismayed. When we think of the thousands and tens of thousands of people who don't know Christ and our communities and neighborhoods. And yet at times like these, we need to remember that the same God who enabled Joshua is the same God who empowered Solomon, is the same God that strengthens our hands for deeds of love and speaks through our feeble words. We need to be strong and courageous week in and week out. Because, number seven, we also acknowledge the sacrifices required to build this work. David said, with great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord. And do you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the great pains he endured to build the temple, suffering on the cross, bearing God's wrath and bearing our sin. So that we could be forgiven. Think about all that Jesus endured. So that we could become part of that temple. Uh, David went to great pains. The Lord Jesus went to great pains in laying down his life. Should then we shrink back from suffering for the cause of Christ? Beloved, building up God's temple requires sacrifice. I wonder what great pains you, Christian, have endured this past year as you labor to build up the body. Maybe it's relational challenges. Maybe it's the giving of your time week in and week out to evangelize and pray. Maybe it's bringing meals to other members or just showing up, loving the saints by showing up and greeting them with a smile, checking in on your brothers and sisters via text throughout the week. Uh, Trinity Church of Bedford, we have suffered this past year. Some have suffered a little. Some have suffered much. And I can assure you that suffering will not end today. But with great pains, we are to build up the temple of the Lord. And and I think that's why David says, don't be afraid. Yeah, there, there is suffering but the Lord is with you, so don't be afraid. The afflictions, they are light and momentary. They don't always feel that way, but that's what they are, compared to the glory that is about to be revealed. Brothers and sisters, let's keep trusting the Lord. Keep serving Christ. Keep serving one another, knowing that in the Lord, our labor is, is not in vain. The eighth way that we build God's house is through the provision of all the materials required. In verse 14, David is mainly talking about the financial provision for the work. And so, of course, we we do praise God for Hope Fellowship Church and Beacon Community Church in Cambridge and Belmont that have helped us get started. We praise God for the brothers and sisters, the churches across the country that have given financially to, to help us get going. Uh, but more than that, consider all the ways that God has provided for this church. God has blessed us and met our need. Uh, praise God for Bible translators who translated the Bible into English. You know, Mark prayed for what was the name of the group? The Baduma. They don't have a Bible in their language. How are you going to have a church with no Bible? Brothers and sisters, praise God. We have Bibles. What a gift to be able to read God's word in our own mother tongue, to be able to understand it. praise God for good theological books and commentaries and resources. So Abby and Holly can lead a Wednesday night book club so Jesse and Dave can get together and edify one another, so we can hand them out on Sunday nights. Uh, praise God for Faye Russo, and Don and Barbara, and Rick, and the provision of this space. Praise God for the freedoms we enjoy, that we can gather unmolested and unafraid of violence or harm. Uh, Praise God for the Nancy Guthrie Conference on how to study the Bible for ladies. Praise God for the parenting conference coming up. Praise God for Lutheran Church of the Savior and their provision. Praise, I mean, just God has met all our needs. He has provided all that we could ask for. And that includes, number nine, all the workers for the task. Solomon wasn't able to build this temple on his own. He needed a diverse crew to get the job done, and so it is here. Brothers and sisters, building a church is not a one-man job. I cannot tell you how encouraging and gratifying it is for me as one of your pastors to consider all of the amazing ways that God has gifted this body to build up the body, to serve one another. From Ashley and Kara getting together to discuss the things of the Lord, to Josh and Jake reading 1 John, to the men's Bible study, to the ladies' Hebrew study, from the Cartons prayer meeting, to Ryan's fellowship events, from Kelly serving in childcare and leading that ministry, to Deborah leading meals, from Zach's evangelism, to Nick's audio expertise. Friends, God is wise in giving us who He has given us. He knows exactly what he needs, and he has provided abundantly what we need. You know, he hasn't given us all stone cutters or all masons, but a gloriously eclectic group. He knows, apparently, that we need like 20 engineers. Uh, he knows that we need young and old, men and women, introverts and extroverts, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different strengths, but a common goal building up the body of Christ, building God's temple. Where would we be without Larry's zeal for evangelism or Margaret's warmth and tenderness? Wasn't it wise of God to bring us Dave to lead music and Kara to serve as clerk? Uh, Praise God for Dan's steadfastness and reliability. What a gift Jonathan and Becca have been to this congregation and the young people here. Uh, I could just go around. Let me just say, members of Trinity Church of Bedford, what a joy it is during the week, as I'm reading my Bible and praying through the directory, I just see your faces, give thanks to God for you. Give thanks to God for the ways that you bless and serve me and this body. Uh, and, and if you're, you're not a member of Trinity Church of Bedford, let me just, as a small plug, say, you know, one reason to potentially join this church uh, not the only reason, and probably not even the most important reason, but one reason to join this church would be to raise your hand and say, hey, I want to get to work. Hey, put, put me in the game, coach. How, how can I help? How, who can I pray for? Who can I disciple? How can I evangelize or counsel or sing or weep and comfort? How can I get to work in building up the body? You know, the irony is that The the stonecutters and masons of Solomon's day were only doing work on the temple. But as members of Christ's body, as living stones, we come to church, we come to the gathering, to both work and be worked on. Right? We don't come just to give or just to get. Uh, We give grace and we get grace. The body builds itself up in love and holiness. If you want to think more about this, uh, come to Lutheran Church of the Savior tonight at 5 p.m., and Mark will help us think through what it means to be members of the one body of Christ. And so finally, we come to our 10th, that is our 20th point, in verse 16, when David tells Solomon, Arise and work. The Lord be with you. Brothers and sisters, with man, our task is impossible. Sinners are spiritually dead, and then there is nothing that your words or mine can do about it. On our own, we are powerless. Yet with God, all things are possible. I think that's the reason why Jesus ended his earthly ministry the way he did. You remember Matthew 28? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. You've got a really big task in front of you, Trinity Church of Bedford. Make disciples. Oh, praise God. Jesus is with us. To the end of the age. Beloved, until Christ returns, until the end, for this next year, the next month, this next week, let's arise and work, and the Lord be with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you take sinners and you make them saints. You take those who were far off and you bring them near. We praise you that we were once strangers and aliens, and yet you've brought us into your house. You've made us your beloved children. You've adopted us. You've made us part of your living temple as living stones. We pray that if there are any here, young or old, who have not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would do so, and they would join us in this great work, this great task which you have entrusted to us. Heavenly Father, we pray especially for this next year, Lord, would you cause us to depend upon you, upon your spirit, your word, your presence doing the work. May we not rely on anything in ourselves, but solely upon your grace. Would you empower us for this work? Would you cause us to be strong and courageous when we are fearful and dismayed? Would you bring brothers and sisters to encourage us and exhort us to continue in the work, to not grow weary in the work? We pray that you'd send the Lord Jesus back soon, that we would rest from our labors, that we would be with you face to face. We pray that all glory would be to Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Well, friends, we conclude our time today by singing on page 15, all glory be to Christ. And you notice that first line, should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive Unless the Lord raise the house, in vain its builders strive. Let's sing tomorrow in confidence. Let's sing together now in confidence.